You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest here with us, Casey Chohan. And he helps business owners, high net worth individuals, and family offices reduce their tax liability and try to reduce and or eliminate capital gains using unique tax strategies. He's coming to us out of Beverly Hills, California, and really excited to have him on the show today. We're going to talk about a little bit different strategies. We've had many topics on the show as it relates to 1031 exchanges, deferred sales trust, Delaware statutory trusts except cost segregation, bonus depreciation. We've got many topics. Uh, Casey's going to talk about different ways uh, to minimize your uh, tax bill at the end of each year. So happy to have him on and thanks for joining, Casey. No, thanks for having me on. Really excited to, to share some cool strategies with people. Excellent, excellent. So talk to us about what are some of these strategies? Most of my listeners are real estate investors. So how can they take advantage of some of the tax changes that may be happening in the, the country, in the United States, um, how can they still, you know, minimize their, their tax bill in a legal and ethical way? So you mentioned the main kind of common off the shelf ways where you're looking at cost segregations, 1031s, bonus depreciation, but loophole, there's a fundamental difference between loopholes and structures. When we look at billionaires and the ruling top 1% of the 1%, they all make way too much money to be jumping through loopholes or having to to roll their money from one asset into the next asset within a set period of time and all these restrictions. So what they have set up is a series of trusts. And these trusts are very different to the regular trusts that you would be accustomed to on the high street or your legal firm or LegalZoom or any of these places because 99% of trusts are all based on statutory law and the statutory trusts. What the billionaires use is something called a common law trust, which is classed as a complex trust by the IRS. And it's clear to see on the 1041 tax form. In this small subset of a trust and in this really, really small subset of trusts that people don't really know about because lawyers aren't really trained in that kind of world, That's where there's different rules and regulations because these trusts are governed by previous Supreme Court cases, their private letter rulings that the IRS has written, and it's hidden within 80,000 pages of tax code. So when, when you put those pieces of the puzzle together, you can create a document that's really solid that allows you to pay zero capital gains tax, zero inheritance probate taxes if if set up correctly, and reduce your annual tax rate as well. So how that helps real estate professionals is mainly with capital gains. If they're passive investors or accredited investors looking at syndications or owning uh, multifamily, so they could get into a property, they could run that property, build it up, and then on the exit, they wouldn't have to roll into a 1031 to not have to pay capital gains tax. Oh, so many times I hear people uh, 
coming up with strategies or buying businesses or real estate just because they don't want to pay taxes. And what we're trying to do is flip that is that, hey, you don't have to worry about the taxes, but now you can invest the way you want to because you set up tax efficiently. Excellent. So can you talk about, can you give us a few examples of this common law trust as it relates to real estate investing? It doesn't have to be on the syndication side, but just in general. Yeah. So let's just run through a scenario of how it would work. Um, So the trust would buy or invest in the asset. So let's just say rather than you as an individual, Anthony, investing a million dollars in a project, the trust would make that investment. You would be the trustee of that trust. And then it's just like you're in control of that asset, but you don't technically own it. The trust owns it. And then when it comes time to exit, you could exit that asset, the money and the funds generated <clears throat> excuse me, from that sale would go into the, the trust, not come to you individually. And now you would have that gain sat there in the trust for you to reinvest in whatever time frame you want, in whatever asset class you would like. And you're not restricted by the, the rules and regulations of a 1031. Because if you look at Section 643 of the tax code, it clearly states there that capital gains can be excluded from, um, from taxation, but it doesn't tell you how. So it, it gives you little snippets, but if you don't know how to operate and understand um, the phrases and how to put them together correctly, you're not going to be able to unlock the benefits. Sure. So it sounds great. What's the catch in terms of being able to access the funds? Is is that is a withdrawal a taxable event? How does that how does that process work? Unless you, that's really a trust that you set up, and you designated to whoever, whether it's a family member or yourself. Um, as long as you don't touch that money and you keep reinvesting it, you're not taxed. Am I hearing this correctly, or? Yeah, so there's a lot of strategies involved, and you're totally correct. The minute you distribute those funds to an individual, or i.e. a beneficiary, that then becomes taxable. The key to this type of strategy is once the money is in the trust, you keep buying assets or issue loans if you want to take that money out. So the way that our trusts are written, and I can only talk to them because everyone there's multiple versions of different trusts with different terms in them. But the way we write our trusts is that um, it's allocated to what we call corpus, which is just another word for the principle of the trust. And then you will designate out of the principle into future investments. But if you want to take money out, you can issue loans out of corpus also. So it's not as if once the money is in there, you can't access it. You actually have more access to it in a tax-efficient way through the trust than you do in in regular 1040 world. Okay. And this applies to what asset classes besides real estate? Any assets. So our clients, they put their houses in there, yachts, boats, jets, you name it, anything. It, it, it's literally uh, a, co- a company. So you could do exactly the same thing as an LLC. That's called yeah. And what are the administrative, are there more administrative upfront costs to setting up trusts, individual trusts? Yeah. yeah you, you mentioned it earlier. What's, what's the catch? The catch is 
it is a six-figure investment to to get this type of structure created. So it isn't for everybody. That kind of barrier to entry makes alternative options viable for people that don't have a huge tax issue, but a little tax issue. As your taxes and your wealth starts to accumulate and you need more advanced uh, systems or structures, that's when it kind of makes sense for a structure like this. So I would say in and around, if your tax liability is or expected to be over $100,000 in any given year, then it's worthwhile setting up a structure like this. If it's less than that, then I would say you're better off sticking with the traditional methods like 1031, um, the bonus depreciations, obviously it's moving out, but cost segregations or, you know, there's, there's a lot of question marks around easements, but opportunity zones, there's always some kind of loophole that comes around every few, few years as another one tends to expire. The main issue with those is they're normally capped so that if you are in a higher net worth situation or you have more liquidity that you want to invest, then you need a structure rather than these loopholes. Got it. And that investment for the trust, is that per trust that you set up? No, that, that's that's a one-off setup fee. And one the beauty about the, the trusts is um, they last forever if they're operated correctly. So once you create that, that's a vehicle or a structure that you can then pass on to your wife, kids, husband, grandkids, and so on and so on. And it kind of creates your family legacy so that your wealth doesn't get diluted and 40% of it given away to the government for no reason at all. Uh, just because, and this is how the elite families are all set up when you look at the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, Kennedys, and so on. Everything that they own is not the individuals that own it. It's all owned in the trust, which keeps the family together and it keeps the family stronger and that every generation doesn't then have to lose 40% of that wealth. That's absolutely. So, um, and the trust, this has been around for how long? Well, many years since the start of the IRS. So this was kind of a backdoor that was created at the inception of the IRS because the rich families at that time didn't want to pay tax. So they created their own system for themselves that everybody didn't have access to. Excellent. And in terms of moving forward, um, there's no proposals to reduce this or cap it or eliminate it. It's the it's kind of status quo. No, it, it all kind of comes down to control and power. It's the the, fam- the rich families that control the politicians that get the laws passed or not passed, as we know here in America, whether that's lobbyists or whatever that is, or corporations right now as well. Um, so they're not going to change or they're not going to force these laws to change because that will directly impact them paying tax. As an example, there was a great article written um, a few months back now by uh, an, a company called ProPublica, and the top 1,000 tax returns were leaked to them. They didn't publish any one specific tax return, but they did a summary of the ruling elite, the powerful people. They, re- they summarized, as an example, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bloomberg, and they all paid 1% or less, with the exception of Elon Musk, who paid 3%. So 
So this shows you, and it definitively proves that the ruling powerful elite or the top 1% of the 1% play by a different set of rules to the regular people. And what we focus on is helping successful entrepreneurs all the way up to like family office use those same structures as as we know that are out there, but just not commonly practiced. Because you could go to UBS or BNY Mellon, but you'd have to have a net worth of over 20, 30 million in liquid cash to invest with them for them to take you on as a client and run this type of structure for you. Their setup fees are over half a million and they take a lot of uh, percents along the way, just in a typical family uh, office model. So it's for the right people. This is a great tool. And a lot of people just don't know about it. So that's why we're on here trying to share that there is alternatives to, to what you've traditionally been taught. Excellent. So you mentioned this would work for many different types of professionals that have a tax bill of over $100,000. So are you saying that if the tax, let's say the tax bill is $100,000, then expect your setup fee to be at least $100,000? Or what, what, what does that look like? This, yeah, the setup fee is roughly hundred k. Just everyone's situation is slightly different, but yeah. in that general ballpark, um, depending on that client, we don't need to get into specifics on on that without digging deeper into it. But generally speaking, uh, regardless of if your tax bill is a hundred thousand or a hundred million, that setup fee is going to be in that same ballpark. And is there a way to? If once, like you said, once this is set up, it's set up, but is there a way to eventually dilute the trust and then open a new, like, what, have you seen families or individuals really change their trust around once it's set up in their lifetime? So what tends to happen is it becomes a spider web of trusts simply because you keep creating more and more trusts to hold one individual asset or asset types, similar types. And that's just for additional protection. So you have your management trusts and then you have your asset holding trusts. And then you would keep one house in one, jet in another, boat in another, just so that if anyone did try and sue, then the full portfolio isn't at risk. Right. So from the legal perspective, how does that work in terms of do they sue? It depends on what dispute you have, but have you seen trust and then the beneficiaries generally get sued or they kind of go, whatever the claim is, they go after everybody and how, how does the liability? Well, they go after the assets because it's, it's normally that's not the beneficiary that has the wealth. It's the trust. So they're going after the trust just for the liquidation of the asset and getting paid out. Or in, in older cases, you know, this is all, readable in Supreme Court cases for anyone who is interested. The beneficiaries try and sue the trust because they're not getting enough money. There were some ridiculous cases where a billionaire's beneficiaries were not happy with the couple of hundred million they were issued in their trust indenture every single year and they wanted more. So just depending on how each trust is written um, dictates the terms. Excellent. How can my audience learn more about the work you're doing, Casey? So you could go to togethercfo.com 
and uh, take a read of that website and reach out to me directly there. You can either set up a call or uh, there's a, a book now button. So a contact us button. And that's probably the best way. Or if you're on LinkedIn, KC Chohan, uh, the two letters KC and then the last name Chohan, C-H-O-H-A-N. And uh, I should pop up straight away. Great. And we'll have a link to KC's website as well as the social media platforms in our iTunes description and on our social media as well. So you can feel free to reach out to him on there. And if you liked what you heard and or saw today, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. So Casey and my message gets out to a greater audience. That's the way iTunes works. So we really appreciate it and looking forward to speaking to you again soon, Casey. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you.